Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. everybody hi everybody hi everybody and welcome to another episode of carnivorous couch uh the spoiler full podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks uh, we have um we have um brady we have brady we also have tess yep yeah and uh this week we did the 1974 francis ford coppola film the conversation starring gene hackman and uh, somehow uh, Harrison Ford was there too. Inexplicably Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, as always, we start off with a uh, plot synopsis. And I think Tess was going to give it a whirl. I'm going to try. Um, it's, it's such a strange movie. Um, so the movie, th- it starts off with, uh, you know, the uh, a view of, you know, our Paris... Paris Park and um, well, Brady looks like he's oh, gonna oh, well, interject. Yeah, no, I I found out. Even though we see Paris on the sign, it's I actually thought they said they were San in Francisco. Paris. See, yeah. that was what was weird to me is like I saw Geary Street and I re- like it looked familiar, but then I thought they later in the movie they said that it was Paris. Uh, no, I, I think I think they said he was that the the director was out of the country and he was in. Paris oh, maybe I like yeah, that. you might be right because it uh, looked yeah. like it looked like San Francisco. It, and it, had it was Geary, San Francisco. You know, okay, anyway, and and it had um, Billy D. Williams there wearing a big old fedora. <laughs> Yeah, Billy yeah. D. Williams also. Well, um, Union Square apparently is where the yeah. big. So we got Lando so and Han in the opening yeah. of this movie. Anyway, so w- whatever they're they're in a park. Um, there's a the overlooking a park, and um, you get kind of like a lot of. Uh, static sound as though you know some kind of recording is taking place you don't really know what's going on and um, it starts to become clear that uh, a group of surveillance people are tailing and recording a couple and you can only hear the audio as they are recording it even though you can see like close-ups on their faces things like that where the audio cuts out you hear like that like it it starts to it starts to sound like the dog um yeah so you get you get a lot of like um distortion and things like that even though you can you know the way that it's shot it seems like you should be able to understand them you can't um and you don't know why they're doing this and but it just you know they're surveying they're surveilling these people and it doesn't really matter why or what the client wants according to gene hackman's character it's just just get the best possible recording yeah it's kind of like uh the elliot gould refrain in uh long goodbye where it's like it's got nothing to do with me yeah yeah, yeah. except we find as the film goes on that that is not the case yeah so um then then what happens you uh, we he's see him go back as, yeah. a, as a surveillance technician and he's trying to, to uh, fix this audio so that you can understand all of it. And you yeah. keep hearing it played back and played back and you still don't know what they're saying. Yeah. He's got three mics and we go to we go to his uh, shop next. Right. Well, first yeah. first one guy gets made and then he, he goes into this uh, glass replacement um, van and we see that they're recording. So that gets established. Right. And then afterwards, they take all this material back to the shop. The guy's got. You know, all this gadgetry has got three recorders all synced up, and he's just basically panning one thing down, 
uh, because that signal's bad there, and then mm-hmm. bouncing it yeah. all to a master tape. And then uh, at other times, running things through compressors and things that he built himself. Yeah, they they establish later on he goes to a um, a surveillance technician convention. <laughs> she never. I I'd forgotten about that part because it's like so. Like this must happen. Like I guess th- of this course, is something yeah. That there's they a do. convention for but every for field. everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how they used to do it goes, before they had the know, internet yeah. and all the shit. Yeah, exactly. That's how you all got that's together and learned stuff. And it was all in mail order catalogs yeah. and advertised, you know, journals or whatever on so your profession. So apparently, this guy's like a big name in in the industry, and you know, he he builds all his own stuff, and you know, is is really like a you know, people know this guy's name. What's his name? Harry Call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mini driver the got the sack. <laughs> Coincidentally, Harry had a hairy you know, back. A movie that has an awful lot of phones, and he he finds himself often like in inaccessible by them. His name is Harry Call. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right after he's working on the thing, he goes to his girlfriend's place, right? Yeah, that's. So tell us a little next. bit about that yeah. scene. So um, next, he goes to what is uh, ostensibly his girlfriend, but and it's his birthday. Um, he get before that he gets a present from his landlord who can get into his house through a series of locks and an alarm and, and he doesn't like that. He does not like this breach of his privacy, even though there's absolutely nothing in his house that's going to, you know. He just as a as a surveillance technician, he seems to value his privacy very much, and this is like a huge part of his character. Some Joker has a copy so of then, my keys. Yeah, some, I don't like that. Some Joker has a copy of my keys, so he. Uh, he then goes to his girlfriend's house and, you know, they they kind of break up during this scene because he's ref- still refusing to tell her anything about himself. Um, oh, and he's actually being a big creepo at her. Yeah, he's and, being really creepy. And, and she's actually cool with the fact that he kind of stands outside her yeah. apartment and watches her. And yeah. You know, he's like playing out this weird, uh, almost like bringing into his surveillance job and where everything's about is like his sexual life is also right. tied up in that he likes you know standing in her stairwell when he opens the door he turns he puts the key in real quiet yeah and turns the knob and it flings the door real open sneaky. because yeah. he's he's a fucking spy that's what he's all about yeah. and like uh this kind of proclivity towards doing this alienates him from everybody and yeah. that's what this scene shows us he can't even maintain a relationship yeah. So then after that, what is that? What happens then? Is that the convention is next? Or well, then after that, he he's, has a, he he's more or less got the tapes finished and he's going to go turn. We yeah. get, he goes and makes a phone call. He might have already made the phone call. But anyway, he makes a phone call out of a phone booth because he doesn't call anybody from his house because he quote yeah. unquote doesn't have a home phone. He does, though. Yeah. It's a, he keeps it in a drawer. In his, right. So nobody yeah. sees it. And blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, he goes to turn in the tapes to the director directly right yeah to what to uh is that harrison ford's harrison ford is the assistant oh the assistant but he's supposed to give it to only the director and harrison ford's all like like i need the tapes and he's like i can't give them to you i have to go well the director's not here he's like and then so uh it's fifteen thousand dollars he's getting paid and this is 1974 so that's a boatload of money that's a lot of money um and so then he refuses, he refuses to give it to him because he's not supposed to give it to anybody but the director. And then like Harrison Ford is very upset. And is like, you give yeah. me the tapes. Like, you know, he keeps popping up later and is like, dude, gi- right. give me the tapes. Yeah. Give me the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> and then so he schedules another appointment and, and blah, 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 blah. And the, the, keys. the director is supposed to be there. And this is when he goes to the, um, well, actually, after that, he kind of, s- this is when he starts to obsess over the tapes. Yeah. Because he's freaked out because Harrison Ford was so like, no, we need these tapes. Yeah. 
and it, it's expounded to us that uh, let me see he goes to confession I yeah. think at this point yeah he randomly goes to confession well he's obviously actually they no established established that first they establish that he's religious, religious because he goes back to the shop and he starts working on the tapes and kind of obsessing over them and this is where his relationship with his partner starts to fall apart because you know he's like hey you've been obsessing like let's go get a beer he's like no no, I gotta finish this, and she's like, "I thought you already did it. Like, I thought you were done with these tapes, and you're gonna turn them in, and blah blah blah." And uh, the guy keeps saying, "For Christ's sake, or Jesus Christ," and yeah, he's like, "Stop, stop using the Lord's name in vain." <laughs> some mild, explicitive, right? Whatever. And <laughs> so, like, this establishes that he's very, that he is very religious, despite the fact that you know he doesn't seem to belong to any particular community other than being world renowned in his field. Right. Right. So then he goes to confession. And that's when we hear, you know, it's happened. It's never happened. It's never had like the refrain of it doesn't have anything to do with me. It's not my fault. But uh, in the past, some of the work I've done has led people to be killed or hurt right. in some way, shape or form. So obviously he's very broken up about that. Hmm. But he doesn't he doesn't want to admit to himself that, you know, right. the kind of work he does causes that sort of situation or enables it in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's an interesting thing of. He has all this agency through technology. However, he doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that he has agency to make bad things happen with that technology, I guess. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, round it up. Uh, let me see. That's when he goes to the convention. Harrison Ford's tailing him. Uh, he hangs out with this uh, guy who's kind of being a dick. They're all dicks. Well, everybody's kind of drunk, and they go back to his shop after the convention. And there's one of his main competitors there who wants to work with him. He wants all he, because he hand builds all his stuff. He wants access to all his stuff, how he did it. like, And he starts talking about that case way back when where somebody did get uh, uh, hurt or something based on the work he did. I think a couple people got murdered or something like that. And the guy brings it up and goes like, yeah, Harry did that work. And, you know, that that's that's to me when I was like, that's kind of a dick move. And I would kind yeah. of at like at that point, that's when I would be like, get out, <laughs> you know. But um, it just seems like. You know, he's he's kind of stoked on the fact that there's this dichotomy. He's stoked on the fact that everybody is saying, like, how did you do it? How did you do it? Like, you're so great at this. How are you so good at this? Tell us, please. We want to yeah. know. Like, this praise that's coming from all these people that he, he sort of knows in the field. Uh, so he's, like, stoked on talking about it. And he finally does, you know, give away how he did this particular um, mission. Or should we call it a mission? Assignment? Yeah. 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 So uh, then they listen to that. And uh, it comes to a head when the competitor uh, bugs him. Yeah. And then, like, it was uh, he bugged he put he planted a, a pen mic on him. Well, he was having a and a then he had a really intimate, intimate conversation about intimate breaking up with his girlfriend to the to this woman. Yeah, this that woman who was actually the assistant of the yeah, competitor. Yeah, but we don't know that. Well, yeah, we do because do we, we saw oh her well in the oh convention. Well she, she did all the showing off of the thing. Oh like yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. So she's like she's matter. like the hot legs uh, yeah. assistant person. She's yeah. talking about like, oh yeah, I was a receptionist and I was promoted to secretary and yeah. then I became the showcase woman. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, but he, like, ha and then I feel like, um, maybe we can talk more about this later, but um, I feel like that's kind of his, his like, absolute breaking point in the movie, is that this guy bugs him, and he, like, flips out. Well, yeah, because he just said something really personal, yeah, and, and he got Yeah, and, but I think, I feel like that's also, like, a moment, like, he, he has what I, I viewed as, is like, an introspective moment of, like, this is what I, like I'm I'm invading these people like everyone's privacy and I value my privacy very highly and this just happened to me and this was like in 
like incredibly incredibly humiliating so like yeah. you know he kind of has that moment and then uh sounds like we got a trifecta here going i think brady should uh go ahead and talk about the 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 revelation and and the ending because i'm sure that's part yeah. he remembers yeah, the Brady's best gonna, brady should talk about the ending yeah, the ending. Yeah, so, so the tapes get stolen is where we're at. So yeah, what happens is, you know, and what we haven't talked about is kind of the content of the conversation itself. Oh yeah, well we don't know entirely what they're talking about yet. But well, at it this does, point it we does, figured it out. It does become much clearer as the movie goes on. So yeah, no, start start there. Start yeah, on there. the second pass, he discovers. Yeah, I I mean, there's talk of uh, they say he'd kill us if he found out. So that's the if major. He had the chance, that's one of the major things. Yeah, if he had the chance, he'd kill us if he had the chance. But another thing that's on the tape that we hear a lot is this side conversation where they're approaching a homeless man on a park bench, and it's, it's a like man and a woman talking. And so the woman says, oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. I just think that every yeah. time Somebody's I see one like that, boy, yeah. yeah, he had a mother and a brother and an aunt and an uncle, and then where are, there where are they now, now when he's here falling apart yeah, on this park bench? Yeah, and then, and so then, the and then she of, says, oh, At the sorry. end of that, uh, at the convention scene, he eventually has uh, sex with the receptionist. And, you know, I guess there's some controversy. You Do guys think maybe it's in his head. Do they have sex or does she just I put him to bed? I think they have sex, I think probably. she okay. gets naked and, yeah, you know, they have yeah. an intimate moment. But it's a very sad intimate moment. And it's after, you know, he's had this moment of, his intimate conversation being kind of perverted by this bugging process. Uh, and that scene is playing of the woman saying, well, it's sad because, you know, at one point he was someone's baby boy. He was innocent and he was good. It's like now where is everyone who cares about him? Mm-hmm. Where, where are his uncles? Where are his parents? Yep. How has he become this sad shell of a person? And kind of becomes a refrain, a comment on the Hackman character itself, himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, like how how do any of these people, these sad people, become the sad people that they are? Uh, and so from there, yeah, we have, he eventually he wakes up and the tapes have been stolen. It turns out I think that the Harrison Ford character was paying the woman to steal them from him, to just to make sure that they got them in case he had a crisis of conscience, which he, it turns out to have been having. We find that out because he calls in. Yeah, yeah. he calls in, and so then he he goes in and the Ford character's like, "Look, just come in. We'll pay you for it." Yeah. Like we're not we gonna just needed them. We, yeah, we just didn't want you to destroy them. Yeah. Because he was thinking about destroying yeah. them, and that's what he was gonna do when he goes over to him, right? Like he yeah. gets right. up drunkenly and goes, "Like I need to." <laughs> yeah, that is, that's what happens. <laughs> I just really want to record this song off the radio. Hold on. And yeah, so he goes <laughs> in, and then we finally meet the director, played in a cameo by Robert Duvall. Uh, oh, side note, uh, Duvall. And also uh, John Cazale, both uh, players from the Godfather films, which yep. Coppola did between. Well, like Scorsese, Coppola them. had has a roundhouse of, of characters, he, uh, actors he likes to use for various kinds of characters. As yeah, well. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then at that point, he I guess that's when he decides he remembers the hotel that they talked about, the room number where they said they were going to go. And in Hackman's mind, this is where he's afraid the director is going to find them and kill them. If he knew, he'd kill us. So now he has the tapes. He's going to be able to do that. And so he goes to the hotel and gets an adjoining room to be able to stake it out. Jagtar Hotel. The Jagtar Hotel. Sunday. Maybe three. Definitely three. Room 773. And so he he goes there, and he he kind of sets up shop, and he's listening. Uh, And the feeling I got was that 
kind of he's able to listen and see what's going on, but he's not really able to do anything to change events. Mm-hmm. And so we get this sad moment where he goes out to the balcony and all of a sudden he sees the woman that he was spying on. And I think he sees the director there, too. Right. And the next thing you, we see is a bloody hand. And the, f- the impression we get is that the woman's been killed and that he's been able to do nothing to prevent it. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. We don't know whether it's or not this is happening or whether or not yeah. it's in his head. Because it's, it's mixed with uh, the dream he had the night before. Right. And he saw all that in the dream, too. And then iconic shot. You want to put that out there? Oh, yeah. Which, what's the iconic shot? The toilet? Yeah. Yeah. When he he goes catatonic for a while and then he wakes up a few hours later, I think. Yeah. Well, I think he's isn't he lying da- down there and uh, then he like just can't take it. And then he runs around and he opens the toilet. Well, he goes. Yeah, he sneaks he, no, he into goes the uh, into the other hotel room. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So first, he he like just kind of can't take it, and he covers himself in the covers. He closes all. Yeah. The, he's like, I can't. Yeah. He like he's like having a bad trip or something. I you know. Can't, he goes catatonic. Like yeah. he can't. Yeah. He like goes and hides, and then later he gets up and breaks into like he he has to go check. So he gets up and goes breaks into the other hotel room, and it's completely you know it's untouched. It doesn't look like anyone's been in there. And then he goes, you know, finally he goes into the bathroom because he hears the toilet is still running. And it's like really ominous sound and um, kind of like takes over the whole the whole soundscape. Yeah. And so then then he goes um, then he goes and like, you know, sneaks up on the shower and like really quickly opens it to check and make sure that nothing's in there because part of what you see when he like hallucin like supposedly hallucinates the woman like bloody on the um the curtain is like it also kind of looks like a shower curtain like psycho right. or something like that and so it, it's reminiscent in that way and then um he then, checks the drain, you know there's nothing, nothing there. there yeah he looks around and then finally he like he jiggles the handle on the toilet and tries to get it to stop running and like is about to leave and then it just starts over like he opens it and it starts like overflowing with blood and it's really really freaky <laughs> yeah he just freaks out um so yeah that happens yeah okay, or so does it <laughs> he thinks he leaves the hotel room uh and he sees still at this point it's unclear to us whether all those things he saw are and thought happening happened or, he just or if he's just fucking tripping balls. losing his shit yeah yeah um even though I, I personally think that the the bloody hand he did see. Uh, well, actually, we know that he didn't by the end because. Yeah. Gone. Oh well, I don't know if we'll, oh, we'll see. Uh, so what we he goes down on the street and he starts walking past the car, and he sees that the woman who he thought had been killed is there. Uh, she's in the car. She hasn't been killed. She's alive in the car. What we find out is the director has been killed. Right, and then when we hear that tape over again the uh, the uh, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd kill us if he had the chance changes to he'd kill us if yeah he had the exactly chance. like yeah. the inflection changes yep right uh, yeah and so then yeah we kind of get this revelation that even th- this noble quest that he failed on to save these people he wasn't even right about that like as good as he is as a, a surveiller his ability to understand what he was listening to was obviously flawed. Right. But then it's interesting because he goes home, and it seems like he's going to be okay. Like, he's actually kind of being peppy on the saxophone. Yeah. Because he likes to sit and noodle to himself yeah. after a jazz record. And he's actually kind of being peppy and, and just kind of like, well, it's over. Like, like you know, just kind of that sigh of relief. Like, 
there's nothing I could do. It has nothing to do with me. I can't. I didn't do it. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get over this. I'm gonna play some jazz. Everything's gonna be cool. And then he gets a phone call, right? Yeah, he gets a phone call from the Harrison Ford character. Phone is now sitting on the desk, by the way, instead of in the drawer yeah. where it was before. Because of what happened, the fallout of the director being killed, like, we're bugging you, like, we got our eye on you. Yeah, we know you know. Yeah, we, we know you know. We'll be listening. And we'll be listening to you through your phone. Because we've we've even gotten an explanation, I think, earlier in the seminar, the con- convention scene, about how to bug someone's phone. And so we know that this can be done, that they can spy on him this way. Well, he, well, he knows. He knows that there's a billion ways to do it. He's an expert yeah. in this. So okay. then... So, so then... Uh, I think he tries to brush it off at first, but then he kind of freaks out and starts taking all the stuff off the shelves that could possibly be bugged. He breaks his little Mary statue. Yeah. The only thing left is (laughs) the Mary statue, which is one of the one things that seems to be of value to him. In fact, the only things we seem to find out are of value to him are his Christianity and and his his saxophone. Yeah. and so, yeah, he's forced to smash open this Mary statue to make sure that that's not being bugged. And he basically tears his apartment to smithereens. Mm-hmm. Tears yeah, he tears up all the floorboards. Yeah, he just, starts to and then kind of loses his entry. No. Like, he's like, oh, God, what am I doing? No, no, oh, and then, and then he goes back at it. Oh, does yeah. he? Oh, yeah. I missed that because part. Because by the, by the end, it's just him in the corner. And, and there's, there's no the, floor? All the floorboards oh, are piled okay. up in the, in the corner. That was just him getting tired for and a minute. Just, and like, he's just like, okay. what am I doing? What am I... Oh, no. no, I have to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and that t- brings us to our final shot, which is of him finally playing music again, playing his saxophone, but in the wreckage of his apartment. Yeah, and kind of out of tune and sad yeah. and just defeated. Yeah. But and see, we get this pan of the entire apartment and then back to him and then back. Which we see several back. times, yeah. actually, throughout yeah. the film. You see that same pan. Right. But the apartment's in one piece. Right. <laughs> um,. And like I don't one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about him playing saxophone kind of badly to himself at the end is that m- the rest of the time that we hear him playing, he's playing like along with jazz records. So I'm like wondering if he's like always this bad and we just couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he smashes record player yeah. and probably all his records. What were you saying about the apartment in one piece? Well, oh, we get pans, that pan. That we get that pan same pan of at, it's at not a double pan like it was in the end, but uh, we, we see yeah. static shot. He walks across the room yeah. and swoop the entire yeah. apartment. And it happens like, like the, twice. It's almost oh, okay, like there's yeah. a guy like uh, the shot is very much designed of like there's this fly on the wall. Yeah. Sitting in his apartment. Watching. And that's us. Yeah. And then we and then we turn with his action yeah, until or even a surveillance camera. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. even a surveillance very camera. Much. Um, so yeah, that's our plot synopsis. Uh, let's go on to... Hey, 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 how do we like it? I'll go. Uh, Tess, how did you like I, this movie? I love, I love this movie. This was actually my pick, um, suggested, and I was on the trolley. Um, I saw this movie once before in a introduction to film class during our segment on diegetic sound. Oh, you didn't see it in, uh... In uh, uh, techno thriller? Nope, I saw oh. it in, in it, what was it? Intro to film one one hundred one B or so, twenty A twenty. No, it might have been twenty B. Twenty B is television. Twenty C. Oh is right, digital tw- media. it was twenty A then with uh, with Peter Limbrick. I saw Peter Limbrick. Do not so, call me Peter if you see me on yeah. campus. Call Professor me Professor Limbrick. Limbrick. But he was Australian, so 
All right, I'll have to tag yeah. him in this when I post it. Don't. Um, <laughs> so uh, Peter he was Limbrick, an Australian, he was New Zealand, class, wasn't he? No, oh, Australian or New Zealand? He was New Zealand, which. and he was very upset if people, people called him called Australian. People called him Australian. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I never really knew. Um, anyway. It was in an intro to film class on diegetic sound, and this movie absolutely blew my mind the first time I saw it. And, like, granted, seeing it again, my mind was less blown. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of I've non-diegetic seen, sound in this movie. Right, though, there's, yeah. and the, the sound, one of the things that I didn't notice is that the soundtrack, there's this lilting kind of, like, you know, ominous piano music that's playing throughout as kind of the, uh, the, yeah, the, uh, the theme of the film that you know obviously nobody hears this but then a lot of a lot of the conversation that 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 he's playing back and this you know garbled and and background noise like becomes also part of oh yeah the throughout soundscape. the movie there's constantly pops and clicks sometimes yeah. there's added tape hiss like in the yeah. dream sequence there's this there's like an extra tape hiss so much like and it was so pervasive actually i don't think it was at the very beginning but by the end, it's so pervasive. I was wondering if there's something wrong with my stereo. Yeah, uh, I no, all it's like, all in the movie. Yeah, and I, was, and I played another video file after we yeah. ended the movie and was like... We had to check. Uh, yeah, okay, that one doesn't have the pops and hisses, so I'm, um, I'm cool. So, like, as, as a study on sound, I would say, like, that this... It's a really, really interesting study for that especially if you're in like you know a, a, an introduction class this movie will absolutely blow your mind um <laughs> like i'd never i'd never heard anything like this until like at the time and um watching it again um i feel like i like i didn't get as much out of it but it's still a really great movie and you do pick up new things yeah, it's definitely a, a double watcher movie. One you know? of the things that um that kind of, you know, I don't remember being I don't remember it being as um like as as uh you know, having the ending be as vague as it was. Like I don't remember it being, well, maybe he did, maybe he did. Like I remember feeling like there was really like concretely this you know, this woman had been murdered and he was like there. Yeah, and like I don't remember getting that resolution. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't remember it feeling so in his head and so so vague, which is a huge part of the movie is like it 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 questions a lot about, you know, what he what his experience is and what this is doing to him like mentally and emotionally and i just don't remember that i remember being like oh this is all really happening like <laughs> and i don't know why i thought that but you know i was like what 18 <laughs> so right yeah anyway i like i like this movie uh i loved it the first time i saw it i still really like it very good and it holds up obviously it's a Letter great grade? film Oh, letter grade. Um, I would say when I first saw it, it would easily get like an A plus A, A plus A. I'm gonna have to say A minus. Yeah. Okay. Solid A. Brady. Oh yeah, this was my first time seeing this. Uh, I loved it, uh, and I'll I'll just lead off with my letter grade. It's it's absolutely an A. I think it's a masterpiece. Agreed. Uh, uh, not on know, the masterpiece part. Uh, <laughs> not on the masterpiece part. Never. He just doesn't like. I will never. I will never masters. agree with it ever again. I, but I, you know, this is uh, Coppola at the height of his powers, and you know what Tess said about the mind blowing thing. Like, yeah, I could see, you know, how this is mind blowing on first viewing, but.
But uh, mind-blowing is a bit of an overrated phenomenon, especially when it comes to style. Like, look at a movie like Slumdog Millionaire, which dazzled people when it first came out. And if you don't have anything else on the table, yeah, you're not going to age very well. And so what I like about this, and I can kind of say the same about The Godfather, which I rewatched recently, uh, and kind of about what Coppola was able to do when he was really on, is, it, yeah, it does have a lot of style to it, uh, but it also has amazing acting, and that's all keyed into something of an essay. Of, of like, it's got a strong sense of theme, and kind of, yeah, it's, I think it hold, it's going to hold up for me when I think about it and when I rewatch it, because it's really keenly about what the police state is, what the surveillance state Mm -hmm. feels like, and kind of what a a lonely and kind of futile thing it is. I mean, this Hackman character is supposed to be the best at what he does, the best bugger in the world, and for all that, (laughs) he feels... (laughs) Bugger means sodomizer in British. Uh, (laughs) But um, for all his power, for all his acumen and prowess in his field... He's really a feudal, impotent man. He can't do much. And so it's got this really interesting, lonely take of, you know, all these surveillers, they're just kind of part of the system and they don't have any greater purpose. And, uh, yeah, it, it, when you're in this kind of state, we all end up like him at the end, just kind of <laughs> seeking any shred of happiness and peace in the wreckage of our lives because it's a society that turns itself inside out with having to always have everything known to them and being able to see literally everything that goes on. So, yeah, no, I, I thought it was an amazing movie and probably the best Hackman performance I've ever seen. That was beautiful, Brady. Yeah, well done, Brady. You're beautiful. Aww. Aww. You too, Thank you. You should have um, said you too, Tess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been good. <laughs> okay, so, uh, by the way, this was nominated for Best uh, Sound in 1974. No surprise there. Good, uh, good. But it Did lost it out to Earthquake. Fuck is Earthquake? They love them. They're disaster movies. Yeah, right. They do. Apparently so. You gotta give it to something. Also nominated was Chinatown, The Conversation, uh, that that's redundant. Uh, the Towering Inferno and Young Frankenstein. Um, Two disaster movies. Right. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, um, it did win the Palme d'Or. Oh, I can. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, oh, good. And uh, I give this an A, which I rarely give. Um, it's. Pretty much a perfect movie. There's, there, there's just nothing that shouldn't be there, and there's nothing missing that should. Um, my favorite thing about uh, uh, when he's like being put to bed and uh, uh, you know having having had sex on <laughs> by the girl, <laughs> um, <laughs> having been sexed up on. Yeah, right. <laughs> like he's he's not really a, a participant. He's just kind of a upset, yeah. distraught man. He's like just laying there and yeah. letting her do whatever. <laughs> Yeah, which is nice sometimes. <laughs> Would you fuck me a bit as I cry? <laughs> <laughs> and that is the drop for the oh, week. Jesus. <laughs> Get that drop. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh <laughs> Get that drop. Get, get that. You were doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... so um. No, but during that scene, uh, like, it's so long, and it's all in one really tense-filled shot. And right before, you know, they push play on this thing, which is not the sexiest thing all to be working. Like, he's listening to the conversation, uh, the, the, the namesake of the film. Uh, the conversation is bearing its namesake yeah. at this point in time. Well, uh, 
and uh, it's kind of very unsexy and weird that he's listening to it so much to the point where you go like, is it actually playing or is this yeah. just in his head? And then like we see a camera shot of it stopping, <laughs> and we go, okay, so it was actually playing. But then the scenes that ensue, like the um, the dream sequence that comes afterwards where he sees all the stuff that he later then imagines is going on when he's listening in on the hotel room. Like, all that stuff, like, this is why I like it. It, it kind of melds dream and reality to the point where even what we're explicitly shown as the viewer, we're very unsure as mm-hmm. to whether or not it's really happening. Because there's some things, like, I'm pretty sure the toilet did not literally overflow with blood. Right. But uh, yet we saw that in the same context as everything else that happens. So anyway, that alone, like, Doing that so well garners the the A reputation uh, that I uh, now associate with this film. Mm-hmm. So that's how I like it. Brady All was right. about to say something. He's leaned in. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, I think some of that stuff with the, the did it or didn't happen stuff is kind of uh, what links it to a blowout. Or not blowout, but we saw blowout, but blow Also, up. the enemy of the state is very much a mm. uh, uh, supposed to be kind of a sequel of this. Oh, yeah, I could see it. The character of Harry Cole and the Gene Hackman character in Enemy of the State are, I mean, they're reflexive of each other. Yeah, no, Much ado has been made about that in the critical Mm -hmm. community, including my film class where I saw this in the first place. Enemy of the State's a, you know, nifty little thriller. I like it. You're either very stupid or very smart. Guess we'll find out. For those of you who can't see, I just winked. I keep wanting to point out the titular line, which I liked every time I heard it, which was... Well, who started this conversation? Who started right, the conversation? Right. Yeah. Who started anyway? this conversation? Anyway? I think he says the conversation. Does he say like who started the conversation anyway? I think right. it's this. I think Does it's he this. say this? Oh, okay. Well, anyway, but close still. close to the titular line as possible. Though. Right. Yeah. And the film bears its namesake. namesake. Yep. Anywho, anyway, should we move on to uh, what's it all about? Actually, should we take a break yeah, and move on? To break. Yeah, because uh, play a game. Yeah, I think we're uh, I think we're uh, kicking some ass on having some good content here, yeah. which uh-huh. I was worried about because we watched this last night. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We had time to ruminate on it. All right, let's bit. play some Metacritical. All righty. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. A metacritical. Brady's the victor again. Woo-hoo. So it's time to play. Ooh-hoo. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical. Yeah, it's time. Time to play. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Metacritical this week. Ah, oh, we've got Brady, Rob, and Tess for all of it. So uh, let's start off with Tess picking a movie. Um, Atonement. Atonement. Does that have Benedict Cumberbatch in it? I believe that it does. (laughs) All right. What do people think that Metacritic rated Atonement? I forget. It's out of 100. Yep. Right? And 100's the best. And Mm -hmm. okay. Um, I think Metacritic rated Atonement 86. That sounds pretty close. I'm going to go 85. Okay, Tess and Brady are going 86 and 85. I don't know very much about this movie, but I think I saw the uh, the preview. And it looked like it was going to be one of those, you know, it's supposed to try and be an Oscar contender, and then it fell short it of that. It was an Oscar contender. Sort of, yeah. Did it win? 
No, so it, it fell it's short of that. Picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, shit. So that the question is, are they dead on? Or are they a little low? Or are they a little high? I'm gonna go with they're a little low. Uh, lo- I mean, a little high, and go with eighty-one. Okay. And the answer is eighty-five. Oh. So you you subtract. Just write down, write it down. It's however many you're off. So I'm off by it's one. It's the absolute value. Yes, you're off by one. Yeah. Okay. Eighty-five, one. And you want to have the lowest score, like golf. Yeah. Okay. Correctamundo. All right, Brady. Correctamundo. Why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't you pick a movie? Okay. Well, let's see if I can try to bounce off of that. Who is in atonement? Saoirse Ronan. Let's go with The Lovely Bones. I didn't see that. Peter Jackson. Oh, no. Okay, I'm going to say Lovely Bones. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to say that that gets a 65. Okay, I happen to know, I think that this got an 87 on Rotten Tomatoes. What, Lovely Bones? Yeah. Okay. So... That being sixty five, like really bad. Like is this that like having nothing to do with uh, Metacritic, which rates itself in a totally different way? Um, I'm gonna go with eighty one. Okay, I'll go fifty nine. Brady goes fifty nine. Lovely bones. Lovely, love, love. Lovely. Come on, pen work. Bones. 81. Actual answer. 42. Wow. It's a shitty movie. I I, I have no idea what it is or what it's about or anything. It's Peter so. Jackson's. It's like a novel that lots of high schoolers read about a girl who's raped and murdered and then she watches her dad solve the murder. What's um what's sixty five minus forty two? Twenty three. Oh. Thanks, Brady. Busy doing my own math. All right. Uh, I'm gonna also go with a serious Ronin film. Uh, if I can remember the title of it. It's uh. Hannah. Hannah. Oh. Hannah. Same guy who directed Atonement. Is oh it? yeah? That's yeah. so funny. Well, I'm going to go 78 for Hannah. Okay. I'm going to go with... Um, I didn't see it. I heard it was supposed to be pretty good. I um, loved it. I saw it by myself in the movie theater. But what does Metacritic think? Um, I'll go with 70. Wait, what did I just say? 79? You said 70-something. 70 72? Uh, I don't know. What 78, 79. You said oh, 79. Okay. I'm going to go with 70, just for simplicity's sake. All right. I'll go... 66. Come on, Internet, don't fail us now. Oh, I just came up with a bunch of people. It's H-A-N-N-A. Oh, is that why? Yeah. Uh, 65 is what it got. Oh, I didn't do that bad. 
All right, two more to go. Two more to go. Tess, pick another movie. Okay. Um, Haven't we only done three? Oh, do we do five? We've done five, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. I need to think of another. Love Actually. Ooh, Love Actually. Seventy-two. Brady. Love Actually. Sixty-nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with um, sixty-eight. Fifty-five. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Wait a minute. I'm not doing as badly as I did last time. I'm doing horribly. Ready, <laughs> your turn. Okay. Love, actually. Okay. Um. I'll go with another treacly movie from a British director, and say <laughs> Happy Feet. Ugh. Okay. Um. I'm gonna go fifty-two. Okay. Uh, I, I hate Happy terrible. Feet, but I think it might have gotten Did people better. like it? Oh. It won the friggin' Oscar. Oh, did it? Oh, uh, I should have rethought this. I didn't. I thought it was, was bad. Cars. I thought it was bad. Genuinely bad. Well, we haven't well, called it yet, so you can you can change your number. Okay. Um. Let me. Th- well, no. Well, I want to win. Um. <laughs> 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 I'll go with sixty-two then. I'll raise it by ten. Brady, what are you at? Uh, I'll say. Oh, God, I'll say 70. Okay, I think you guys are in, like, the, uh, you're in the 20s on your, your score. I'm at 74 right now. Yeah. So, uh, what'd you say? I said 70. And what'd you say? 62. 62. Uh, so, the only way I can win is if I, if it's actually zero. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll try, I'll just try to make up some steam. I'll give it a 90, see if that helps me. All right. That's happy feet. Happy feet. What did I say? 90? You said 90, yeah. That'll make me up 20 points if it's anywhere near anything. Double three E's. (laughs) Three E's? What? 77. (laughs) God, that's too high. That is way too high. Okay. Um Oh, is this and then I get how does this okay. Total it. So wait a minute. So then I do seventy seven minus sixty two. Yeah. That's only fifteen. Okay, so you get brady i got a 39 yeah 39 jesus you did really well um i got a 57 well i got you both beat with 34 props to doing your own score (laughs) oh sorry i actually got uh 80 props to lying 87 87 this victory feels hollow it should you should stop trying to win Metacritical.
you. Hi, everybody. We're back from our climactic, the opposite of anticlimactic game of Metacritical. We're going to do now, what's it all about, buddy? Uh, we did the conversation this week from 1974, and uh, what do you think this movie is about, Brady? Oh, I thought Tess was going to kick us off. Uh, no, she's not. It's okay. you. It's me? <laughs> uh, baby, it's you. This movie is about uh, what it's like to live in the surveillance state and about the psychic cost on the human soul. And it's about uh, a kind of, as I was saying in my grade section, uh, an impotent uh, anti-hero who's actually part of the problem, uh, who has a crisis of conscience and tries, you know, the movie almost kind of fakes us out to think it's going to be about Hackman stepping in to do the right thing, maybe preventing the murder from happening, who knows. But in the end, uh, yeah, he's just, it's this interesting dynamic of he's got these powerful tools. It's all about kind of this society uh, that's invented tools to monitor itself, to spy on each other. And in spite of that, he doesn't know anything. He can't really affect any kind of change. And so he's just a, a complicit, passive participant, a watcher, if you will, a voyeur in a society that's uh, toxic at its core. So it, it falls very much into this, 1970s style of movies that take aim at society and the rottenness of society uh, and views it through the uh, the lens of surveillance and sees how kind of what a sad and hollow system that is. So yeah, that's what it's about to me. That's interesting. I um and and it's interesting because Tess brought up a point last night um in correlation with that which was like uh people always talk about how we use telephones more than anything nowadays but um that this movie obviously is all about using the telephone and how you can be watched using the telephone and blah, blah, blah. And this, this is uh, exactly 30 years ago. So, you know, there's that. However, I feel like this is more about um, kind of the blending of, um, you know, a personal reality versus an actual reality and the way that uh, our tools and our technology and our agency through them can kind of shape and create a sort of an alternate reality for yourself and then which one should we believe yours or the real one or you know how do you differentiate the two that's interesting i think that's there as well yeah i mean it's definitely there it might not be exactly what it's about like you know on its face it's about this guy um who went is going through this traumatic situation which he's gone through before which is interesting because you know he moved away from i guess dc or new york to do, go do this job in San Francisco. Well, I mean, now he runs his company in San Francisco and he did this particular assignment. Um, and they talk about how he went through this sort of situation um, back then. And I wonder if he did the exact same thing. Like, you know, they were going to watch him and he tore up the fucking boards and like, you know, fucking ended up collapsed alone in his in his uh, apartment, which is why, you know, um, he didn't want anybody to know he had a phone. He didn't want anybody to be able to get into his apartment, blah, 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 blah. Because he'd been through that before. And it's interesting because right before that whole scene happens where he goes nuts and just, you know, can't take it. And that's when his phone is on the desk. He's almost ready to be just open and upfront about it. Um, and that, you know, there's this ominous moment when the telephone rings and it's the assistant played by Harrison Ford calling. Um, and he just lets the phone ring because he almost can't believe that it's ringing mm -hmm. because nobody should have this number. Nobody should know I have a phone. But at the same time, he was just about to let people know that he had a phone. Or maybe it was sitting on the table because when they were in his apartment, they took it out of the drawer 
and he realized it was out of the drawer and holy fuck. Somebody's been here. Yeah. Or something like that. Well, and it, that's really, though, yeah, know? that's really unclear. And it, it, and there's no way to know really exactly uh, how that works. And, you know, even when he has that conversation with the landlord, he doesn't, we don't actually see him go to the landlord and get the keys. And we don't see him change his locks or anything. So there's a little bit of that. And there's also the fact that, you know, he is a surveillance guy and he obviously can pick a lock I think multiple people at the surveillance conference go like, hey, you want me to pick that lock for you, Harry, when he's coming in? Like, he picks the lock to room 773 in the Jagtar Hotel. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously he knows anybody can get into his apartment. The key isn't really a fucking... Right. It doesn't matter. I mean, I guess they'd have to pick three separate locks, but still, he he can do that, so obviously anybody can. Or maybe he just has his uh, particular talents in such high uh, esteem that he believes that nobody can do what he can do which is no, inevitably his folly well I mean if I said maybe oh, I said maybe damn it okay. um, anyway so yeah there's all these things kind of floating around in the ethos and um, together with it not all being cohesive and it's not heavy handed it's not like this is the one thing it kind of leads to the feeling of his alienation because you know essentially boiled down to it this is a character study this is a study of a man who yeah there is a bunch of stuff going on that has grave consequences uh inside the plot of the film but it's really about him and he can't hold a relationship with his partner he can't hold a relationship with his girlfriend he can't hold a relationship with anybody because he can't let anybody in so i think that's what it's all about and just all these things floating around in the ethos kind of lend to that more than any one thing representative and byproduct though of the kind of society that allows no room for privacy and two of the most powerful moments are uh that ending shot one and also when his conversation is bugged and sort of this idea that it this this way of life pollutes and corrodes even our most sacred precious private moments uh, and it makes them ugly and it yeah, like he's playing but I mean music, it's but it's even ugly because he wants to be private. You know what I mean? Like he's unable to be because he wants to be so private. And he doesn't want to be watched, and like that act alone also creates a a perverted, sort of polluted self life view. Yeah, and it makes him a bit of a hypocrite as well. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Tess? What's this movie all about? Um, I mean, you guys all. You said a lot of good stuff there. Well, um, I only touched I on your telephone thing, but I thought yeah, that was a really good point. I, mean, I thought I you'd want to talk about that a little. things that, yeah, that I, I did want to say, and, like, I don't know if it's what it's all about, <laughs> but I did want to talk a little bit about um, how interesting it is to me to see technology um, so abundantly used in... Um, you know, a movie where everything to us looks very analog and looks very archaic and, you know, everything that he's doing, you know, this, this complicated stuff that he builds, you know, nowadays we don't, you know, our cell phones probably do half of this stuff, including make calls. (laughs) So. Well, some cell phones don't even make calls. They just do all that stuff. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um. I was saying that, like, I feel like this movie would do very well with with a kind of a remake um, of it. Not necessarily like a one-to-one remake, but the same kinds of ideas in it 
you know, addressed and updated with, you know, modern technology. Well, that's um, that's very much what um, Enemy of the State was. Yeah, I don't know if I saw Enemy of the State. Was that the well, one with Will Smith? Will Smith, Smith and Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman's oh, character in that. Oh, you were talking about yeah, that earlier. Yeah, he's basically an yeah, analog yeah, yeah. Of, of this particular character just 30 years down the line. Yeah. He lives in a jar. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm pulling uh, I'm pulling lines from it. Yeah, that's what the, he calls the place where he lives the jar because of the copper wiring makes it impossible to infiltrate with certain radio signals. Yeah. He doesn't have a phone. He doesn't have TV. He's I talking see. about all the stuff the NSA can do. And blah blah blah, and uh, Will Smith even has a uh, a line at him where he goes like, "You live in a jar. You're cut off from everybody. <laughs> you don't jar. talk to your daughter. You don't talk to anybody. Yeah, you know all this stuff, and everything's all all great with you. Like you're very smart, and you're able to get at whoever. But what kind of life is that? You're you're so um, tied up in your technology, and the fact that everybody else has this technology that you're unable to have a personal relationship with anybody, including your daughter." Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, I want I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And like you see so much like telephone conversations, um, just use of uh, this analog technology to like create these end results that, you know, at the time, this was really, really, really high tech stuff. Like he's building his own stuff. Um, and Kinda I just like, my like friend, Elliot. I, I like I like seeing like, excuse me, as a motif. Um, I like seeing, you know, the the use of telephones in the film, the way that that they kind of have like a representative quality of people and their characters, that way that he interacts with telephone shows you a lot about his person, that kind of thing. His name's Harry Call, I keep saying. Um, so I don't know if that's what it's all about, but I, I took a lot away from that. Um, and also, you know, additionally, I think, uh, I, I hate to say that, um, you know, a, sty a stylistic aspect of the film is what the film is about, but in a lot of ways it is about um, just the, the sounds, like the way that the soundscape exists. It's about, you know, the way that, that we communicate and... And things like that. Yeah, um, I can't believe it didn't, didn't win Best Sound because of yeah. Earthquake, which I'll have to watch, I guess. But I think that's just a lot of sound effects, right? Like, this had a really strong use of sound with the pops and clips, clicks kind of going yeah. on. More and more even as, as you know, uh, there's probably a turning point if you go back and watch right. it where it's like he is now being watched and now you right. get more and more pops and clicks and You're more microphone hits. and him yeah. being surveilled. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes dense intricate soundscapes aren't properly appreciated in their time if i think about this year uh, granted i'm glad that gravity won sound effects because i think it did deserve that but uh whatchamacallit <laughs> upstream color which kind of does in a way what this film mm, does yeah it does weaves kind of a tapestry of sound which isn't just about oh that sounds exactly like an earthquake that sounds exactly like a spaceship crashing but really is kind of about disorientation yep. uh like that kind of stuff is interesting and I think should be given more credit and certainly the conversation is an excellent excellent example of it. Yeah. That's definitely true. Uh do we have more to say or should we uh do our uh, understudy and then uh then yeah, wrap yeah, we, up? We can do understudy. Yeah, let's yeah, let's do, do that. Okay. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors 
to do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch This game called understudy is happening, happening, happening right now Uh, hi, could I have some more coffee please? Thanks. Okay, so tell me, how do you know where to put the camera? Because I've done it before. I know, but the groundhog doesn't do exactly the same thing every year, does he? I'm not talking about last year. I'm talking about today. (laughs) I've lived it before. You're having deja vu? Big time. Rita, I know it's nuts, but I keep reliving the same day over and over. Groundhog Day, today. This is the third time. Uh Aha. Yeah, I'm waiting for the punchline. No, really. It's like today never happened. (laughs) I shaved my head last night. Today it's all grown back, you see. I could probably cut it off my limbs one by one and pop, they'd grow back. (laughs) Just like I, a starfish. I probably don't even have to floss. I'm racking my brain, but I can't even begin to imagine why you'd make something like this up. Because I'm not making it up. I'm asking for your help. Okay. I'll bite. What do you want me to do? (laughs) The truth. I'd like you to spend the next 24 hours with me and don't leave my side for a second. Oh, I see. You know, Phil, you can charm all those little PAs at the station, all the secretaries, and even some of the the, the weekend anchors. But not me. Not in a thousand years. Wait, Wait a second. No, if I was dying and your breath was the only cure, not if I was having your child and the only way it would be to preserve the human race, just get out of it, out of your head, because it's not going to happen. Mm, So much for the truth. You ready? We'd better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather. Yeah, I'm ready, Larry. Good luck, Phil. (laughs) Bother. That was understood. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Okay, everybody, that was a good version of understudy. Uh, once again, of course, tweet us at Carney Couch if you know the name of the actor or the movie involved in it. Uh, the actor we're impersonating, not the actor who we were supposed to be. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll do something nice for you. I'm not quite sure what that is yet. Maybe it, I don't know. I don't know. We Maybe ha- a cake. Yeah, I got some bad cake left over. Yeah. Yeah. Some rancid cake. So anyway, uh, we got final points. Anybody got any final points on the conversation? 1974, Francis Ford Coppola. I like that little see-through raincoat he wore the entire time. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. Did, do you think that was on purpose? Had something to do with it? Like it, it it's weird because it, it constantly like a shimmers. Curtain, yeah. yeah, it constantly kind of shimmers and like. As he walks in and out of light and shadow... You can kind of see through it. It becomes transparent. Right, but it also draws this kind of weird, you know, um, comparison to him. Whether or not he's in dark or light, it's never very clear. There's always a spot of light on him. Yeah, the film's also dealing with issues of transparency versus confusion. Yeah, Yeah, that was more what That's probably more what what, what is on it, you know. 
I'm not very articulate most of the time, so ah, sometimes I need people like you guys. Symbolism of his weird raincoat distill. that looks like a real jacket. Yeah. Are you walking around in your raincoat that looks like a real jacket? <laughs> it's not a real jacket. <laughs> it's just to keep me dry when it never rains. Yeah. Because it's San Francisco. That's my, it that's just my fogs. takeaway. A poncho that's is not a fashion item no matter what color it is. <laughs> Strange <laughs> jacket he wears. Well, unless you... If you pair it with a fanny pack, then, yeah. you know, you're definitely doing the yard duty fashion statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't hit each other. Don't curse. Do you need a Band-Aid? That's all I'm good for. Fanny pack. Fanny pack. Why is it called a fanny pack if everybody wears them in the front? Your fanny's in your back. Maybe they were made in England where fanny yeah. means vagina. Fanny does. Yeah. I don't think they were made in England. I don't, I don't think, think so it means vagina pack. <laughs> 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 don't break your <laughs> vagina pack. <laughs> what is your vagina pack? Is that the hymen? No, it's a it's an agreement okay, between you and God not to <laughs> Oh god, let's wrap up. <laughs> All right. Uh so next week I think we're doing mud with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Huh? Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, huh? He says shit all the time, and it just makes you go. Well, no, actually, I, we actually have McConaughey in the studio. Uh, Matt, you want to prep this one up, get us yeah. ready for next well, week? Who's my hero? Who's my hero? My hero? My hero is future me. You know, because then, then once I get to the point where uh, future me, I go, all right, all right, all right. But then it turns out that my hero is future me, so I haven't reached my hero at all. I mean, it's just my hero is just. Just there, man. Time is a flat circus. <laughs> dot Tumblr dot com. McCona, huh? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, we're gonna watch Joe. No, not Joe. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff Nichols is mud. Uh, all right, all right, all right. I think that's theme song. Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Would you fuck me a bit as I cry? (laughs) 